Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. That's it. All right, y'all ready? Ready for the word? I hope. I hope you're coming with expectation and ready to worship and fellowship and hear the word of God. Um, we started a couple weeks ago this foundation series um, about the awe, renewal of the wonder and awe that we are created for and understanding a renewal of the understanding of a human existence, foundational things in understanding what our faith is built upon. And so we're just jumping into Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We're also tying in some of Romans 1, 2, and 3 in this series. We started off by looking at creation itself and just this restoration of a supernatural mindset, a biblical worldview that honestly through our several last decades is being eroded among Americans, even in the church, and especially with culture just stabbing at this, a renewal of wonder, a renewal of awe, a renewal of a supernatural understanding of the cosmos, of the universe. That is the only way to understand, right, the Bible. That is uh, the worldview that we're to be in because this is a supernatural world, right, a spiritual world where, where God reigns ultimately. And then we moved and... Uh, Last week, we looked at the uh, day seven, the great uh, Sabbath rest of God. And we talked about last week, the renewal and the invitation into the Sabbath rest of God. What does it look like to truly rest? And we uh, really went after that last week. This morning, we're going after chapter two, the, fin- the rest of chapter two, verses four through uh, 24. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up there. Um, I am this morning focusing in, honing in to the men. And uh, we want to talk this morning about a call to men. Next week, ladies, we'll bring it all together. We'll talk about uh, uh, the beauty of being a woman and everything. But this week, the beginning of Genesis, or the rest of Genesis 2 here, I want to hone in and, uh, and address this issue of manhood that has been eroded in our culture now for many decades, and we're reaping the results of it today, all right? And restore that, especially right here um, in the church um, itself. So um, the other subtitle for this message this morning would be, as we're going to see here, a line that came from Alexander Solzhenitsyn where he said, live not by lies. And so men, this morning, um, live not by lies. Understand who you are, how God uniquely created you, and understand what it is to be a man. It's time for men to rise up and take hold again of the rightful responsibility that God has given you, right, in this world, in all the spheres of influence. It's time for our young men to hear a strong, powerful message based on truth, not on lies, about who they are and what they can be and their role and responsibility in this world and how to honor women in a healthy, glorious way. All right? So now, before I dive in, <clears throat> I'm going to start this morning with a little sociology. I'm going to take a little risk here. Um, and uh, before we move to theology, which is what we're all about, the church should be all about, um, which is God's word. And, uh, but he also tells us we need to be aware of what's going on because it just shows the proof of, of what God has been talking about. Now, I say I'm going to take a risk because I need you to do something for me. All of us have been conditioned more than we had ever realized to look at things politically. However, the family you grew up in has formed your idea of politics, right, more than you ever realize. And today, 
If you've been educated in a Western school, especially higher education, the lens on you is one that's not only politicized, but it's polarized, and it is um, not at all, obviously, a biblical lens. We in the church have to do the work, the hard work of making sure that the lens that informs everything we look at is the lens of God's Word, the lens of the truth of God is to view all that. So what I'm asking of you is I'm going to read a couple of quotes this morning and just to set the stage before we dive into this idea of manhood in Genesis chapter 2 is I need you to set aside kind of your politics. Some of you are going to go one way here as soon as you read this. And here's the deal. When we talk about things today, we have to learn to be able to talk about anything and everything today and listen well. Not just shut people down, not just kind of polarize people well, and not cancel people. I mean, this should show us the terrible state we're in today. We can even have a healthy conversation and debate the issues of truth, okay? So I need you to do that with me this morning and to put your thinking cap on, right, and get down deep here because we're going to move this quickly to theology, this connection um, this morning, okay? You with me? Does that make sense? I feel like today you have to kind of couch that. Otherwise, people, boo, right, go out and listen well, engage well. I'm going to probably hack off people on the left and on the right. Uh, here and uh, it, it, left or right doesn't matter. What matters, folks, is the truth of God, right? This is what the church is about, the truth of God and reestablishing, right, people who are strong in their faith and who make a stand on the truth regardless of where culture, right, is going. It's time, ladies, we'll come to you next week. It's time for men to rise up and to be responsible Men of truth who will stand up in light of lies and lies and deception and make a stand for the truth of God in the loving and powerful and gracious way. All right? Okay, here we go. We cannot hope to resist the coming soft totalitarianism if we do not have a, our spiritual lives in order. Okay? Soft totalitarianism. Now, we're going to break that down here in just a minute. This is the message of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. How many of you read some of Alexander Solzhenitsyn's stuff? Of course, it's Aspen. We've got a lot of well-read people. If you haven't, read his novels. Amazing. Um, he, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, was the great anti-communist dissident, noble lariat, orthodox Christian. He believed the core of the crisis that created and sustained communism was not political, but spiritual. It always is. Behind everything is spiritual. We live in a spiritual, supernatural world. On the day of his Moscow arrest in February 12, 1974, Alexander Solzhenitsyn published what would be his final message to the Russian people before the government exiled him to the West. In the title of that exhortation, he urged the Russian people to live not by lies. What did it mean to live by lies? It meant, Solzhenitsyn writes, accepting without protest all the falsehoods and propaganda that the state compelled its citizens to affirm. The ordinary man may not be able to overturn the kingdom of lies, but he can at least say that he is not going to be its loyal subject. There's a lot there. I need you to think about it, right? There's a lot there. So... um. I think the main thing I want us to point out here, folks, is that be a student of history. Realize history repeats itself. Realize the myth of progress. 
If you've been educated, I'm going to just guess most of us were educated here in, in America, in the West. Is you were sold a lie, and you might not even recognize the lie. The lie is that we can better ourselves and progress as humans in society without God. That is a lie. It is a lie that we're going to see in Genesis chapter 3. goes all the way back to the beginning. So anything that says we can progress, our technology, our science, our know-how, our business, just throw all that in there together. We are progressing as a people is a flat-out lie to think that we can progress without God. And folks, if you study your history, again, I'm not going to take the time. You can go back and you can see all the communist movement, right? Lenin, Marxism, all of this, right? All through Russia, Eastern Europe and everything. Every bit of it was based on lies and controlling the people, right? To bring them together and control free speech, right? And with this lie of, hey, this this propaganda is advancing mankind. So line up, people, and don't resist that. Accept this as truth. It is getting us to a better future. And so just a little side note, today, if you do get into, which we all will, and we all do, into conversations about all the different cultural things going on in our culture, is one of the great questions to ask people who are pushing this progressive agenda today is, tell me, what does the future look like? Has there ever been a nation, has there ever been a people who've bought this kind of thing and who've progressed forward and where it's been good for society and families, right? Even people in our political realms today are not asking that question, not thinking, right? We're denying even science itself, right, and logic itself in telling you to buy that lie, right? Don't buy the lie, right? All right, here we go. According to Hannah Arndt, the foremost scholar of totalitarianism, a totalitarian society is one in which an ideology seeks to displace all prior traditions and institutions. It's called deconstruction. Again, if you've grown up in our educational system, you've been taught deconstruction. Get rid of the old traditions. Get rid of the old structures. Is we got a better future ahead. Sound familiar? It's nothing new under the sun. I tell you, go back and study your history. What happened to Europe? They took the same experiment, right? Matter of fact, we, though, as a culture today, by the way, as Americans, if we think we're on high moral ground, do you realize the rest of the world looks at us like we are whacked out right now? We're doing things that have never been done. We're believing things. We're trying to have our people line up with certain truth and certain issues and ideologies that never in the history of the world have a people organized around. I just, just need to frame it that way, right? Because we get lulled in. And I'm going to talk about that in, in just a minute. A totalitarian state is one that aspires to nothing less than defining controlling reality. Truth is, whatever the rulers decide it is. As Arndt has written, wherever totalitarians has ruled, it has begun to destroy the essence of man. Today's totalitarianism demands allegiance to a set of progressive beliefs, many of which are incompatible with logic and certainly with Christianity. Ooh, a lot there. So let me just step back. Well, here's what's important. And I think I have to continually say this, right? 
We have to have wisdom and a biblical worldview, especially to chart a course, a healthy course, today like never before, right? And we've got all kinds of things. We talked a few weeks ago about this pull of all the rational Christian, progressive Christianity, right? Um, uh, sensational Christianity, Christian nationalism, all these things pulling at the church, Right? And it's time right, for the church to rise up. The church is to be a place. We are focused on the kingdom of God here. When the church gathers, our focus is come, Lord Jesus. It is to model the things of the kingdom here, present, now. A healthy, loving community where marriage is honored and, and fullness of manhood and women. It is elevated and blessed. And people are welcomed from a broken world in and brought grace and mercy and love and healed and transformed, right? To focus on the kingdom of God. And we strengthen ourselves in the truth of God so that each of us can be sent out into the world in all areas of civic duty and be the best citizens ever involved everything out out there but as soon as the church is harnessed by political means we've corrupted the church and this is something we have to understand church is not a political engine it's not right wing left wing middle wing or whatever it's the kingdom of god present in every nation in the world to represent the glory of god and his his blessings among his people as we are here to strengthen and fortify the truth of god so we can go out And we can be involved citizens in all areas of politics, civil duty, whatever it is. But the church must remain pure. Our thing we gather here to worship is beyond the politics. It's beyond whatever nation uh, that we live in. It's beyond all of that. It is focused on the kingdom of heaven. And that is what Jesus came to preach. Does that make sense, gang? Just to balance all this out? But folks, when this totalitarianism comes by the way that word was coined during Mussolini's day if you go back in history it's amazing we we just do not learn because as soon as education is taken over and the ideology and freedom of speech and the whole history is not taught folks it's just a matter of a few generations before radical things happen have you has anybody ever wondered how like when I got out of college is that I had a whole interview I had all these companies and no company asked me to sign a dotted line or to conform to a certain ideology to be a part of that company they, they hired me based upon my qualification of how well I could help them create the widget that they were doing. Do you ever wonder how today corporate America is hijacked with an ideology and that to be a part of a certain company, you have to check the box and believe a certain thing? How did that happen? What happened in the college campuses moved into corporate America. Right? The ideology that's formed minds on the college campuses moved to take over the engine of a corporate America. And if you think, oh, that's wild, Steve, is you need to go back and study what happened here in a very quick period of time, just in Europe alone. Do you, and to realize half of the majority of the ideology that is being promoted, it's nothing new under the sun, it's just another form of Marxism. And just go back and study it. But nobody is taught, it's, it's just the blindness, the, the subtle, and this is why you have to be aware. Because all of that, what is it? Erodes faith. What's about the young generation now? Why have they bailed out of church? Why are they? It's nothing different than what happened back in the early 1900, right around that time. Same thing. Early people bailed out. They fought for a greater, a greater future. And we're going to deconstruct all the institutions and everything. And we're going to usher in this new progress. And you know what happened in less than a decade? You had gulags. You go back and read how quickly 
and horrific people treated people for not conforming to the ideology. And you think, oh, that can never happen here? I ask you this. Would you ever imagine your wildest dreams that wearing a mask or go down the list of things would divide families? Still to this day, I know people whose families are divided because of a certain stance over this last pandemic and ideology. Would you ever imagine such a thing? Right? Now, folks, that is a part of a bigger movement that's happening. All right, let me drill this down. All right, we're going big down here to law. Totalitarianism has ruled. It's begun to destroy the essence of man. And folks, to destroy the essence of man, you know where you start? You destroy the essence of manhood. You destroy the essence of what it is to be a man. And guess what? Your society is on a fast track to radical deconstruction and radical confusion. And we are deep in now. Deep in. But there's good news. And this is where the church, the kingdom of God, should be standing up and shining a bright light, not living by lies. And folks, what I want you to hear here is, is, and every one of us has a situation like this, to show us how much we can get lulled into affirming an ideology and not standing for the truth. Every one of us has people, maybe family members, people close to us who, who are uh, affirming and who are in certain things that are radically contradictory to what God's word says. And just think about uh, our own life of what happens is solely, but surely we're around them. We need to love them. We need to be with them. We need to, you know, and we start slowly, slowly, it just gets watered down. And folks, let me tell you, I can, this is one way to know how, how, how far away I am from, from God's word is my lens, is if I'm ever in that place where I'm in a situation where, where I, oh, I know that's not right, but I'm just going to keep quiet about it. If as a believer, you find yourself in that situation, what I'm saying is raise the flag. You're in a very dangerous position. Very dangerous because slowly you are, like history, I could go story after story in history, the same thing, is conviction dies. And that's the whole point of this movement, this ideology. Slowly but surely we get lulled into, uh, and we start changing even how we love. And the truth of God gets lowered, right? And so, folks, it begins with manhood. And, folks, we could go back just in our culture alone and just talk about, right, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's TV, whether it's our college campuses, again, what has been sold and subtly done over a period of time to just knock down a biblical, healthy understanding of what it is to be a man, all right? So with that said, let's go to the truth of God for some encouragement and some truth in the midst of this chaos, right, in the midst of this um, confusion, Right, that is just grabbing hold of, of our society and families and men, women, uh, the, whole, the whole thing. And let me just say before I get in here is, look, um, and again, now I'm shifting to hone in with us men this morning, is, look, there's, there's a lot of trauma out there. There's a lot of woundedness out there. There's a lot of confusion out there. And the reality is that for many of us, we did not have a, a father. We did not have another man or men speaking truth, bold truth, godly proof, truth into our life growing up. We learned on the street or we learned from culture. Or we learn now from social media and they have one agenda, folks. There isn't diverse. They have one, right? 
and, uh, and it's wreaked all kinds of confusion. And unfortunately, ladies, guess what? You're reaping the consequence of that. You're reaping the consequence of passive malehood. Now, you might fling the other side. Well, the men just aren't going to do it, so we're going to go, we're going to take hold here. That's not, that, that. unfortunately, it's sadly, that's sometimes what has to happen. But all the way back, we'll get to it in Genesis chapter 3. But the passivity of Adam, he failed at all four key elements of manhood, which we're going to see here in just a minute. And he allowed the rest of the fall to take place. Anytime, folks, the male that we are passive is that we just open a floodgate of, of abuse and trauma and unhealth when it comes to relationships, marriage, and, and, and children, parenting, God, the whole thing, really, friendships, on and on. And so what I want to say loud and clear, just before we get in here, we're going to come back to this, but is this is the power of the gospel. The gospel, what Jesus did is to restore our identity, whether it's male or female, to restore us into God's image bearers and to bring wholeness and health, no matter the wounds, no matter the ugly chain behind me that hasn't right given a clear direction of what that is, is, is that the gospel comes in and is a chain breaker. It, it can restore and renew and transform so that the future generations are transformed. Exodus 20, in the Ten Commandments, the Second Commandment, God says this incredible promise, but also very profound thing, is He holds men ultimately responsible. You go to the New Testament, sin, the the passivity in the garden, men are ultimately responsible for the fall, for sin. We are held before God responsible. And the truth of that in Exodus 20 is that God says, the iniquity, right, the the, the sin, the iniquity, my failures, right, my rejection of God, it's passivity down, he says, under the fourth generation. In other words, there's generational trauma if I reject God's plan for my life. And especially as a man, that I, that is we're going to get into, that identity forming blessing that's been given to me, it's passed on down. But here's the good news. He says a thousand generations. So his point is, to the man who anywhere along that stream decides to turn to God, as I say, Lord, help me. I bring all my mess, I bring all my wounds to you, and and, and embraces the gospel, transformation could come and break the chain inside that line and bring great fruit unto a thousand generations of fruit and blessing, all right? That is the great news of the gospel that the church has to hold high, right, today. Make sense? All right, let's get in here. Genesis 2, starting in verse 4 through the rest of the chapter. These are the generations of the heavens and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Just a little side note, gentlemen. Get dusty. <laughs> Ladies are beautiful. They're created in the garden. We were created out of the dust. There's something profound, the very nature of who you are. Get dusty. And I'll leave you to interpret that. Um, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, and by the way, let your young boys get dusty, okay? 
And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river flowed um, out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedlam and onyx and stone are there. And uh, the name of the second river is the Gihon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. Um, I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he had called them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the Lord uh, and the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of heaven, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in his place. Of flesh and the rib that God um, had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then man said, Wow, that is the last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She's been called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. The word of God. All right, as I said, there's so many things here. Next week, we'll get into the whole oneness and, and, and uh, woman, beauty of woman thing. Um, this morning, I want to just hone in on this man thing, okay? Now, you might be sitting here, and you might have all kinds of questions. How does chapter 2 connect with chapter 1 and all the created days and everything? I'm not going to have time to get into all that, but if you want to dive in on that, love to have coffee with you. We can go deep in all the, the details of this chapter. I, because of this series, Foundations, we're just going after the main primary things that God is trying to commute through, communicate through His Word to His church and His people. Obviously, back here, ancient Israel is what are the fundamental things that we that form God's uh, created order so that there can be peace and not actually chaos, okay? So um, I have four things this morning. Being a good preacher, I put them all into P's so you can remember them. And uh, maybe you've seen some of these before, but honestly, just out of these verses, there's four primary things, okay, um, of manhood that the Bible, and these flow all from the beginning all through the entire Bible. They fit together perfectly or have held perfectly and just want to take some time to look at these this morning. Um, but uh, a man is to be a priest. What does that mean? A special sense of priestly duty. A priest is someone who serves God vertically out of a heart that's vertically connected to God and then horizontally to others, his family and others. If he has a family or a wife, he serves horizontally and then out to others, right? Protector, not just physical protection, 
But man is given this responsibility, and, and you take this all through uh, civilization and all through different levels. We're to be the protector, right? Watch out for physical, but not just physical protection, spiritual protection. And we see that Adam failed here, right? Provider. What is that? Again, ladies, you're a part of all this. We'll get to that next week. But uh, uniquely, man, right, is responsible. And this is the key word I want to hold. Who is holding men responsible for being men today? Where is responsibility gone? Fundamentally, God holds us responsible for the stewardship of his creation and all of these things. And we'll get in a little detail on these. Provider and then proclaimer. So we see he's the, he's the proclaimer of truth. He's the one who passes on identity. The words of a father, the words of a man to a, a young man are profound identity forming words. Right? All of these things to be a speaker of truth, a bold speaker of truth, upholding truth in a society. So um, let's just run through these real quick. Priest, preservation of sacred space and order in the midst of chaos. All right, so verse 15, the Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now those two Hebrew words, meaning to work it and keep it, you probably grown up and you just thought Adam was, a, he was an agriculture, he was a farmer primarily. Sure, that was part of it. But you know, deeper, these words in the Hebrew are actually priestly duties. They're used throughout the Old Testament of the work of a priest. And so at the very core nature of the man is this vertical service to God and horizontal, right, blessing, right, to others. And it's a preservation of sacred space. What do I mean by sacred space? It means whatever domain, right, that men oversee or are a part of, there should be this awakening of is God honored in this place? And this idea of order in the midst of chaos. This is what God's word does. God's word in the beginning, it's spoken. When God's word spoken into your soul, God's word comes in as truth. It brings the peace of God into the chaos of my soul. And this is to be fundamentally part of what men do, is to speak the truth boldly into the places of chaos, starting with the soul, this sacred space right here of getting right and having a priority of our relationship with God and spiritually as a priest does, right? And that is to flow out to a man's home, his spouse, his children, his church. Men are to be the primary ones leading the way. It should not be mom or or wife having to drag the kids. In other words, this is a fundamental aspect that we're held responsible for. God is to be the keeper of the sacred space. Is God honored in this space, right? And calling upon God vertical, horizontal, in the midst of all these spaces and throughout history, right? Honoring those things, right? And what do we see back to some of the quotes we looked at is the men need to rise up, right? And say, these are unsafe places. In other words, what did Adam do? He failed on all accounts. He got passive and he let the enemy come in. We'll get to this in chapter three. He let the enemy come in and bring attack, right? And uh, he got passive. He missed. He, he didn't watch over the sacred space of the garden, did he? He missed it. And he exposed him and Eve, right, to the lie, right, um, of the devil. So priest. The next one is protector provider. And this is just responsibility for the physical and spiritual well-being 
of others. Fundamentally, right, what should be built into our young boys, right, is this idea of a protector and provider, right? And, and when I say protector, as I said before, God gave Adam a real clear direction, right? He says to the, you shall surely eat of the tree, eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day in that you eat it, you shall surely die. Gave him one command, to watch over this sacred place. Watch out, be the protector. Watch out, right? Stay away from that tree. And, and what happened? Man, he just completely stepped back from his duties. He got lazy, right? And the enemy came in, and we know the rest is, is history on this thing. So this idea of the responsibility for physical and the spiritual well-being. So if you're not a, a husband Right? It's still as a man, the responsibility for the physical and the uh, spiritual well-being of others. Right? To be a man, to step up. Right? And, uh, and to step into situations, to be the protector, to lay our life down. Right? But also deeper than that is to be the protector when it comes to um, the well-being of people's souls. Right? Caring for people. Again, Jesus is the ultimate model, right? He's the ultimate model. He can make a whip, clean out the, the temple, and he can also be the tender one who's just ministering deeply right to somebody's soul. Right? That's manhood. That's true biblical manhood. The only way any of these can happen ultimately in our life is, is if we are, um, it's the gospel. If we're allowing the gospel and Jesus right to come and do those things. The final one is proclaimer. Boldly speaking truth and helping form godly identity. As we see here, Adam was given, he brought the, the, the incredible responsibility to name the animal kingdom in the world. Um, and what does that entail? It means you're setting identity on something, right? And later in chapter 3, he named Eve. And, um, and folks, just the power, every single one of us knows, we can step back and every one of us knows something that dad said to us, good or bad. The power of even just a little sentence, right, can linger for generations and wreak havoc or bring incredible life. When the gospel comes, it heals my generation, my mess from the past. It covers that, covers the shame, covers the lie I've been living under, right? So I can live under the truth of what my heavenly father says about me. So now moving forward, right, I can speak the truth of God into others' lives, and this is part of being a man, a proclaimer, a bold proclaimer of truth at all levels out there in public and especially in this day and age, right? To be a, a bold proclaimer of truth. We need men to rise up and make a stand, not get wishy-washy, not just kind of hold back cower, but to make a stand. And, and because you know what? A man, right, at the very nature, I, I says I'm more uh, concerned about pleasing God than I am myself or others. I'm a priest before him and I'm responsible for that. Right, to make a stand before, uh, in the midst of truth, to stand up for truth boldly. And that should be spoken, the truth of God, um, spoken into the very lives. Uh, and speaking of young men, if there's anything they need right now, they need other men loving them at a soul level and speaking truth and blessings, calling out of their hearts who they truly are. 
right, as men. And that they are adequate. Remember, Jesus himself at his baptism, heaven pardoned. And the father said, this is my son who I, who I love and I'm well pleased with. Even Jesus needed the affirmation of the father before he began his ministry. How much more do we in our hearts need that, right? And so I hope you just take those four things. I'm just scratching the surface, but just hopefully very simple things to remember. I hope you take them and wrestle with them and uh, dive deep into them and uh, realize again that the gospel is the one that applies these and brings the great transformation. So to end, just a couple of practical things. Husbands and wives, be brutally honest with each other. Men, ask your wife, what areas you are being passive in? Whoa, that's opening a big can right there. Michelle and I were talking about some of these quotes and she said, well, when are we, when we going to have this conversation? Or, we have a 16-hour conversation in the car right now after this afternoon, so it's coming my way. I, I've already been given notice. But um, wives, let your husband know what you want from him. Men, listen and respond. There might be no more important question that husband and wives can have than this. Ask your wife. And let me, I'm just going to be honest, guys. This is just has not been formed in us. This has not been formed in our soul. This kind of conversation has not, nobody's showed. It's difficult. So ladies, understand how difficult this is for us guys to get to that. But you know what? I, um, I was going to read a letter, but Michelle said I probably shouldn't because it's pretty harsh and rough. But from a wife that basically says, I'm tired of living with passive men. Will my husband ever Will I ever have a decent conversation with him? Will he ever open his heart to me? Right? Have this conversation. Go for it. And ladies, don't hold back. Be brutally honest. And then call God into the moment. Right? And guys, we need help. Second thing here practically is reach out. Reach out to a man because, you know, the sad thing is, is across this, all of us this morning is that there's probably few of us that have had real healthy father or father figures in our lives. They've journeyed along with us speaking in over our lives, the promises of God and kept us on that task. And when it comes to marriage and parenting and, and just being a man today, man, we need other men speaking that identity into our life. And so I, I plead with you, young men, there is some amazing men in this church. Make a phone call. I got to have a coffee. Make it. Step out. And if you don't know of anybody, just call us here. We'll connect you with somebody, but have the conversation. I'm struggling here in this culture. I'm struggling under the ideology, everything going on in our culture. I'm struggling in, uh, I had a conversation last week with a, a young dad, amazing guy, um, successful, right? All those, all the things you checkbox, but he's just, he, and he's a believer, been a believer, but he is at the, his wit's end in tr- how to be a father now, how to, to love his wife, handle his kids, and to live in this world to honor God and his stewardship. We need to have the conversation. So I plead with you, please don't, don't just do like us guys do when, it, when that emotional thing gets going and we just bail out. Boop, we're gone. I got to go play golf. I got to go for a bike ride. I got to, right? Don't do it. Don't do it, all right? 
Finally, gang, remember without Jesus, there is no spirit of Elijah. What do I mean by spirit of Elijah? It's amazing. The last book of the Old Testament is Malachi chapter 4, the very last words of the Old Testament. And it says, when the spirit of Elijah comes, preparing the way for Jesus, is that he will unite father's hearts and children's hearts. Isn't that beautiful? Part of revival, the move of the spirit of God, healthy transformation church is that father's hearts are restored to children's hearts and the generations are changed. It's awesome, right? So remember, without Jesus, there is no spirit of Elijah. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot be men. We will remain broken, passive, and angry. That is manhood today. Broken, haven't been willing to deal with the wounds and those troubles. Passive, just like Adam. Passive when it comes to spiritual things. Third, angry. Every man is angry. I'm not angry. Then you're passive-aggressive angry. There's no way for a man not to be angry at the Spirit of God and he's not seeking God. There's no other option, right? We need to be apprenticed to Jesus so we can learn to be priests, protectors, providers, and proclaimers, right? And he's wanting to. And guys, I just, I know I'm going to drill down. This is hard. It's hard for all of us. But man, let me tell you something. When you open your heart, and it takes a man to open a man's heart. Get with that man. Keep getting with men. Open your heart to them and to God and let God use that situation. And, and look what Jesus did with the disciples. We have to restore a healthy discipleship among our men in the church today. Where there's a platform where that heart is ripped open and that soul is ripped wide open and then transformed. The Holy Spirit comes in and boom. The boy becomes a man. And watch out what God will do with that man. He will change the world for the glory of God. And ladies, what I promise you is nothing will set your heart and life on fire like a man who starts to seek God. Then and only then will he truly know how to love you. I beg you, don't bail out like the culture. Don't bail out and just try to suck it up and do it your way. But God do it his way, right? We'll get to more of that next week. So, Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. And, um, Lord, this tough stuff, Lord, I mean, for all of us. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come now. Lord, I pray you'll spur a conversation at the depth, Lord, of every man in here, God. Lord, come and heal and strengthen and encourage and convict. Lord, for your glory, God. Lord, you, Jesus, you've come after us. You're the solution. Man, let us be on point as your church, God, faithful. Lord, encourage your people this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.